0: This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele.
1: Hello, hello. Good evening to everybody and welcome to Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Mbele. Um as always it is a pleasure to be in your company and definitely tonight is not an exception. Uh as a you norm, know, let me acknowledge Howard Feldman. Um Sasha Star Tabo Mandy. Uh as usual I'm not flying solo. I'm with Vusi here who will be helping out in terms of making sure that everything goes goes well. Um Tonight, um, I figured we need to recalibrate our conversation last week, which which was essential around uh, restructuring or turnaround strategies, as it were. Um, the, the the focal for tonight's conversation is going to be around the turnaround strategies as it as it relates to state-owned entities. Uh, we have had this kind of conversation last week with um, uh, Robin Nicholson, who is a former uh, CFO at the South African as, at the SABC. As well, and uh, he'll also be joined later on by um, Eric Stillerman, who is a turnaround strategist himself as well. And and we really want to get a sense around um, how best we can move forward as a country, considering the value of SOEs, the kind of magnitude investments um, they hold in their different portfolios. Uh, before we we go forward, let me just acknowledge um, uh, Robin here and, and welcome him. Ah, thanks, Nimrod. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, well, hopefully tonight we're gonna we we're gonna, we're gonna really hit it uh, uh, hard and running. Um, Robin, earlier on before we actually went on air, the the, the conversation has always been <coughs> South Africa is in in, in a recession, as it were, and we do know that the the state owned enterprises have such a huge role to play, but over the in the past years or so, they've been plagued with a number of governance and management challenges. Uh, we've seen how, um, at some point, the, the president instituted the, the provincial, uh, Presidential Review Commission, which looked at the systemic uh, uh, nature of, of the landscape with a view to make it right. Um, and so far, we've not seen anything. In fact, the we have the, the worst has happened, in a sense, uh, uh, in a sense of of maladministration, corruption, and what right of you. Um, I just want to I just want to look at that particular point and say, what is missing from a governance and management side of things? You
2: know, from my experience in working in that sector, I think there there are a couple of things that you need to understand about SAEs that are different to normal companies. Mm-hmm. The first one is your shareholder is largely unskilled in shareholder things and there's a political dimension to it. So some of these SAEs report directly to DTI and the like, and many of them report directly to parliament or held accountable by parliament. And do we really have the capacity in those institutions to provide proper guidance and direction to SAE boards? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's the first thing. The other challenge of it is have we always clarified what the public service mandate is and what we expect these organizations to do from a self-funding commercial point of view? Because if the public service mandate gets out of sync with the financial capacity, of course it's going to make a loss. Case in point, decide to have 90% local content on a broadcaster – the industry itself, the production industry, welcomes it with open arms. Of course, they would. It's what everybody would want to see in a country. If your culture is not reflected in your television and radio stations, then what are they really doing? But there's an economic reality around the balance of how do you bring your audiences along with you in those strategies? How do you make sure your revenue streams remain intact? And how do you contain your costs? that strategy appears to have come unwound. I mean, and it's very difficult. When you say this is your mandate, achieve 100 percent, and here's an economic reality that talks to having to use foreign content to subsidize local content from a revenue point of view. That's not – that I think is a very clear example of where we've not really ever really clarified what the public service mandate is and funded it. But whose responsibility is it,
1: um, uh, Robin? (coughs) Because we do know that um, defining the mandate um, from the governance point of view, the board ought to be giving direction in terms of um, their own interpretation of what the mandate is. And part of the interpretation has to become, in my view, commercial viability, as it were. But this is not what you see, given the constant bailout request on the side of, of these SOEs. Does it mean we don't have boards that fully understand the the commercial side of business, um, or, or, or there's something wrong with the funding model? What seems to be the problem?
2: I I think it's both. You know, the the funding models themselves don't really allow you to be an economically successful organization. So we don't put a – if we look at the the annual annual performance plans, you don't see them saying, listen, you've got to provide a minimum rate of return. You know, we expect your cash flows from operations to be X, and that would subsidize and make you a self-sustaining entity. Um, we don't see them saying, well, if these um, services are consuming resources, where are those resources coming from? And being transparent about it. You know, there's nothing more opaque than an ESKIM tariff.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I, mean, I have a direct feed from ESKIM and I pay X for my electricity. Just down the road from you, across the other side of the R55, there are people that are getting municipal feed electricity. From Sinton, and the rates are very much higher. So where's that cross subsidisation, and how's it explained? Because Santon is buying its electricity from Eskom, Mm -hmm. but so you know what is the profit motive for a municipality to charge over and above what an SOE rate is, and then they don't pay Eskom. So the whole you're, you're right. It starts with very bad governance, but very unclear roles and responsibilities, and I'm afraid to say it, the inability within those boardrooms in my experience, to have the hard conversations about what the trade-offs really mean.
1: For us to have a hard conversation, it begins with the recruitment and selection of board members um, and the capabilities um, that is aligned with um, business acumen or, or that is aligned with business imperatives, as it were. Do you feel that the in your experience, some of the board members—is um, it just number? Is it a number issue in terms of we've got so many people at the board level, or it is a quality?
2: Well, I think it's both. I mean, if you look at the size of the ESCOM board and and some of the other boards, they can't possibly be functional. I mean, I, my experience at the SABC is you end up with 19 board members. You know, how do you arrive at a, at a consensus where you can even agree what the issue is, let alone what the solution is? especially when each one of those members is talking to a constitution uh, constituency that elected them and put them there. You know, so the, the, the board governance is a real issue. Um, make them smaller, get them more focused, be very clear about the mandate. And there are some good examples worldwide. Um, if you look at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, much clearer uh, commercial mandate. The ABC you know the- operates profitably. Um, And the way they did it was they said, look, we expect you to do this amount of programming only in English. So they they then said, if you're making a profit here, take that profit and subsidize a local content um, multicultural, multilingual broadcaster that runs in parallel with the broadcaster. So in the north, there's a lot of of, uh, Chinese and Malaysian content. Um, In Perth, there's actually sub Afrikaans content as well. So, you know, they've got a a multicultural – but they started off with an economic model that said we expect you in your commercial activities to generate this profit, this return on capital, and this is how it's going to be allocated. And where there was a a gap in their funding model, they actually made public funds available to to close that gap. And it wasn't on the three-year plan. It made the ABC a very slow organization – Not fast to react. But let's look at Qantas. Four years ago, Qantas and SAA were in the same position. Qantas has just posted outstanding results, good strong cash flows, good debt repayments. Passengers are going back to Qantas. That's about the quality of both their board, their management, and their treasury's intervention and the treasury's ability to actually contain the balance sheet expansion that you see in SAAs in this country. And as much as I've got a lot of respect for our treasury officials – They've not been able to 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 contain off balance sheet funding expansion in these SAEs. The liabilities they're generating, we don't know what the liabilities are in many of those SAEs. You bring a very interesting um, issue here by reflecting on
1: the oversight, i.e., that of the land function ministry. Um, in this particular instance, the uh, the, the minister of um, communication, um, which. Um, has been found wanting in a number of ways, um, up to a point where there, there's absolute um, collapse of of fiscus within the SABC, as it were. Um, surely, when you when you when you draft the service level agreement, um, which obviously is, uh, is which is which is obviously reviewed periodically, um, you have a mechanism to arrest any irresponsible expenditure. How come has it been allowed to 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 go to a point where there is absolute um, uh, collapse of of the finances in relation to
2: the, the 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 local content, as an example? Well, I think you know if you if you look at performance management. Yes, you've got the PFMA and it set some very tight requirements around it, but the SABC's overspent two billion rand in unauthorized expenditure in two years. So clearly, there's something wrong with the. Systems, if they can measure it, you can stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you then look at what is happening at a board level and a board oversight level, is there really a performance management system in place for the SABC? Certainly not for the last four years. You know, um, I, I think that you probably go back, you'll find that it hasn't been in place in the last six years at the SABC. I'm not sure about others, um, but I, I suspect that if we har- ask the hard question... Is there proper contracting that have CEOs and boards signed off on those documents, and are they bound by the the consequences of not meeting those obligations? We know that that can't be, and it will be interesting to see across.
1: I mean, the, the my in my experience, some of the uh, export, some of the interaction I've had with some of the SOEs in relation to performance agreements uh, signed by the chairperson or signed by the board. Um, uh, very few and fine between. Um, clearly, the the if you don't have performance contracts signed at that level, um, you are opening up um, the environment to abuse because there's no accountability, which leads to my que- uh, my next question, uh, Robin, around the, the the commitment to integrity at the board level, uh, because if there is no commitment. To integrity in relation to oversight um, and and integrity, which is accompanied by you know uh, uh, consequence management, that is a simple reserve for disaster. Firstly, how do we allow that kind of environment to, to prevail,
2: and how to how do we bring it back? Well, you know, I, it, what is integrity? It's a, it's an internal consistency in your approach. So if, you, if you're internally consistent and you've agreed to a performance management um, contract, uh-huh. then your integrity says, say, well, I must deliver on that. And you won't always. There'll be years where you do well and there'll be years where you'll do badly. There are areas you'll do well and there are areas you'll do badly. I mean, it, you know, business is, is not um, an absolute art that everything goes well. I mean, if you go into the private sector, I suppose I work in, wow, I see a lot of what's not going right. Uh, and it and sometimes it looks very much like an SOE with perhaps lower <laughs> numbers because the shareholders funding it and the shareholders and creditors get tired and they intervene far earlier. You know, so the integrity of the individual, I think, is one thing. But the integrity of the collective, you know, if you if you start looking at, at that question within how boards are constructed, who gets onto boards, mm-hmm. you know, you start asking questions of. Deployment committees. How well are they working? Um, have we usurped the Labour Relations Act? Are we doing proper ethical checks um, and background checks on individuals that get into these into these places? Are they signing off on the, on the declarations? Um, you know of for what gifts they received, what uh, trips to foreign lands they may be undertaking. All of that talks to a complete breakdown in integrity because they're not accountable to the people and the public they serve. You know, and I've got to say they're not accountable to their own internal consistencies, which is perhaps the biggest issue. You know, if you, if you you can make mistakes, you can do the wrong thing. That's a human condition. But if you're not internally consistent about recognizing your own shortfalls and holding yourself accountable, you cannot have integrity. And if you can't have integrity the individual, you'll never have it as a board.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. Um I'm I'm afraid we're gonna to wanna to take a break shortly before we welcome um Eric Stillman. Eric, Eric, uh, good evening and welcome. Nice to meet you. Eric? Yes. How are
0: you? Good evening. Hi I'm Nimrod. <laughs> and and my colleague here, Robin. Robin. Robin Hood Nicholson. Let's take <laughs> a break. <big>, well, <laughs> we'll come back in a second. <laughs> this is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele Belly.
1: Welcome back. It is now 23 after six. I'm joined in studio by uh, Robin Nicholson, who is a turnaround strategist, a former CFO at the SABC, as well as Eric Stillerman, the CEO of London Business SA. Uh, he's also a turnaround specialist. Uh, colleagues, once again, welcome. Uh, before we into the break, the, the, the issue at hand um, was... was Turnaround at SABC, and I know at some point, Eric, if you may reflect on that, you did a turnaround strategy, which was really, which was rather comprehensive at the SABC at some point. Um, what is it that you looked at as part of the turnaround, and and what is it that um, succeeded, and and if there's been challenges in the execution of your recommendation, what okay. went wrong? Uh, uh,
0: thanks, Nimrod I've I've, done, I've been involved in two turnaround strategies, okay, which uh, unfortunately were not implemented. And I think that's the heart of um, what the issue is uh, uh, in the sense that uh, what, what Robin was talking about earlier being the, the public service mandate, the developmental mandate is being used as an excuse uh, for not um, fulfilling the commercial mandate. So, if you look at even I was looking at SAA's mandate before I came here, and you know, right top of the list is the developmental mandate to fulfil the national development plan and goals of of the country, and then commercial viability, and then one or two other things, sustainability and whatever. Okay, so <clears throat> uh, I'll give you two case studies which show you how um, I think the public uh, uh, service mandate uh, is allowing. The commercial mandate to be undermined and allowing state capture. In fact, it's that loophole <laughs> through which all of the slush funds are, are flowing. And if we look at how we repair it, which is, I'd, I'd really like to get to that this evening if we can. Mm-hmm. We're taking uh, uh, drawing on on Robin's experience being in in the hot seat to to know exactly where we can. Actually, leverage some change. So, uh, any, I think, uh, basic as, as, as a, an accountant, one of my sins uh, of my training, um, you know, it, it, you look at any income statement and balance sheet, and, and, and if you want to affect a turnaround, the variables really are to increase your income or reduce your costs on the income statement. Um, and uh, or preferably both. Uh, um, very often accountants go for cutting heads and chopping and restructuring, and so many organisations during the recession have, have been doing that, without even entertaining possi- the possibility of growth and growing the, the top line. So I think any you know really good strategic turnaround would seek to to, to increase revenue as your first port of call so that you save the organization, grow the organization, and then cut unnecessary costs in very simple terms. So one of the things uh, we did, I was working at that stage in the, in the mid-90s with Swalaki Susulu was the CEO and Solimakwetli was um, the uh, strategic manager. we just looked at the, the income statement of, of SABC, and Robin will know that, uh, very intimately as, as having been directly involved. Um, and, and looked at how, how we can incre- increase revenue by, say, 10%. I think the numbers at that point in time were 2 billion rand. How do you get it up another 200 million rand? At that time, there was a loss. The year that I came there, I think it was a loss of, of 100 million. The previous year, 1995, I think it was, there was a profit of 100 million. Mm-hmm. And it was slipping away, and there was the threat of having to go cap in hand to government for 500 million. And we wanted to ha- avoid that because the budget said no increase in income, increase in expenditure, we're going to have a loss of 500 million. So I simply did an exercise, not only an accounting exercise, to say increase revenue ten percent. It's not astronomical, bearing mm-hmm. in mind to two point two. Reduce expenditure just five percent. Don't cut heads, don't do anything dramatic when we actually did a proper value based analysis of the cost structure out of I can't remember how many people there were but if I had to ask you in any large way, I'll tell you now that, that in SAA, there are over 10,000 people. And when you do a value analysis of the people and what they're doing in these organizations, you know, when we did the exercise on SABC, what percentage do you think were involved in what are called productive direct activities? I uh, mean
2: actually touching the product? Oop. Exactly. In, the th-
0: yeah. in production, in studio, in marketing. Best is than called, a third well, you know, it could have 10% is what I got you. I mean, that's a real radical economic transformation <laughs> by XL. We didn't want to do that. All we said is just contain costs 5% re, uh, increase revenue, 10%. That'll give you a profit of two, three 300000000 and build from there.
1: Yeah. But if you made such a, a, a well-thought strategic review yeah. and came up with almost a consensus approach in terms of mitigating the downfall. Yes. Um, why was it not uh, embraced and okay. embraced? I mean, um, Robin? Well, I suppose,
2: I, you know, I can, I can say to, to Eric that it, it was, but not perhaps in the same way Record. that he may have seen it. Well, when I started in 2001 with Peter McLary, um we looked at the at the revenue potential, and in you guys are two quite years, Prefable. you're quite profitable. Yeah, well, we, we made seven hundred million. Hmm. Um, it, within two years, we'd grown the revenue by twenty three percent compound annum, and and that was looking at from because Peter and myself both came from Prime Media, and Peter's hmm. got a very good media brain. Hmm. We'd built the audiences, we'd built the chair. we'd used a lot of what Solly's principles around slingshots having I mean, two pillars of programming lots of audiences to sell, segment them properly. Hmm. And then we started running into difficulty about having a successful organization. The expectations of that mandate became more entrenched. You know, so people wanted to see more programming and that automatically started hitting away at the fundamental pillars of the of the commercial mandate. And unfortunately, the SABC has this great thing called sport. You know, and at the same time, sport is a great audience driver and worldwide, it's been driven by pay TV. So you were up against people with big pockets that needed the, the people to watch the television in order for them to drive a subscription revenue model, which the SWC just does not have as a public broadcaster. That doesn't mean you can't be competitive in that environment. It's just that you're up against some really tough commercial um, realities in media today. And if, you, if you're not very commercial about it, mm-hmm. you know your public service mandate is going to suffer. You mm-hmm. know? And, and even in radio, it, it was never clear what the rules were, you know, so you had large language stations um, with very big audiences Um, and yet you had smaller radio stations with the same number of people working in them right, ideal model between 18 and 26 people, it doesn't matter whether you're handling Mm -hmm. a small radio station for the same people out in Mm -hmm. Meerswerp, you need about 12 people to run it, uh, or you're running a big station down in Durban which is speaking to 7 or 8 million people you know How do you how do you balance that mandate? You know, eight million people get the same service as less than a couple of hundred thousand get. Well, well, uh, can I pitch in? Sure, sure.
0: Thanks. Uh, uh, I I think that that I'm I'm fascinated that you, in your uh, tenure there, achieved a profit. like to actually unpack it a little bit, but before I do just to tell you why uh, what we came up with was not implemented at the time, and how we got to that revenue on commercial principles we went and talked to the marketing department the programming department the revenue model is 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 actually quite straightforward there it's advertising driven it's not subscription driven there's um, license fees which have never been really collected effectively um, and uh, or fairly yeah, and priced, state or state subsidy, or even fairly priced, and be that as it may, in 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 when I looked at the revenue at that time, at least something like ninety percent was supposed to come from advertising. So now, um, the, the, the the in order to attract advertisers, you've got to have appealing programming. You've got to have audiences, and and you've got to be competitive, and you've got to take a, account of what audiences are saying. They were also underpricing, by the way, um, advertising to, to black stations at that point in time. I think at, at that time they were charging per minute on uh, uh, typically, let's say, SABC TV1, I think it was 30,000 rand a half a minute, uh-huh. and it was a fraction of that for, you know, for and and that was for... Uh, for something like Generations, <laughs> which had a bigger black audience, the pricing was wrong because advertising agencies didn't understand the power of the emerging market in this country. And, uh, you know, we were advocating at that time to reprice and, and to more effectively capture the true commercial potential, which I still believe SABC has got today. Oh,
2: massive.
0: So now… So, so why didn't it get implemented? Well, I did. We did a presentation to to Exco, and um, remember, the alternative was to go cap in hand to Parliament for another five hundred million bailout. And senior executives there said, "We don't want this plan. But, we but want <laughs> we want to go to government but because like, but we're a like public service broadcaster." And it's not our mandate to be make to make a profit, so-called. But there, therein lies a problem. Exactly. I tell you what. therein
1: lies a problem because when you do, I mean, in the South African uh, setup where hmm. consensus uh, is almost ingrained, a consultation is almost a must. Hmm. Um, you, you run a risk of consultation paralysis because even if you have a decision that is financially sound, but if for as long as The onboarding aspect of processes, if it it hasn't been intact, um, this is where you run the risk of of people saying, Look, we don't want this thing because we're not supposed to be making profit. Um, Let's start our first dialogue. uh
2: Let's walk away from profit. Because profit doesn't pay the bills, Uh cash flow does. Uh Correct? Right? So Uh let's make our state identities start reporting cash flow first. Uh Right? If you're doing a turnaround anywhere. Yeah the first thing you do is you chuck away the income statement. Right? right? And you start looking at what's the cash flow over the next 13 weeks. Are we going to be able to pay wages over the next three months? Mm -hmm. That's where you start. Mm -hmm. So let's move our focus into a cash flow statement. We'll begin to understand why the SBC makes losses. We'll begin to understand why it needs funding. In a much simpler way because if you're a household, let's take a normal guy, an average man, and he works... As a taxi driver And he's married And he's got two kids When he goes home And, and by the way This example comes from Joel Stern Explaining EVA. Okay. <laughs> right, He says You've got a mom and pop store on the corner And they've got a shoebox So when you arrive home Tsepo puts his money In his shoebox His wife arrives back From her place of employment And she puts her money In the shoebox And those people know At a very, fun, very fundamental level mm. That that cash Ends at month end it doesn't end five days before month end because then you don't eat. And yet they manage to manage their cash flow. Now, if an, if an average Joe running his household understands cash before he gets caught up in credit cards and debt, he doesn't go wrong. He knows he's got to put some away for the kids schooling. He's got to put some savings away. Maybe he wants to have all of that at the year end. Then we go and ask our SOEs not to explain their performance in that way. So you can have a situation where your balance sheet's out of control; it's consuming mega amounts of cash. You're going to ask for increases in revenue, and you look like Eskom—you're making a, a profit. Mm-hmm. Whereas, same problem that they have in China: mm-hmm. your domestic debt is out of control, mm-hmm. right? Your internal debt in in Eskom is it under is it under control? It doesn't look to me. They keep on getting downgraded. The I'm downgrade sure. guys, look at the cash flows. Mm. So I think the first conversation we have is, let's talk about the real issue. you coming for cash. Where did your cash come from? What did you do with it? And what cash do you need going forward? But are we able to respond to those basic questions? I think the systems in the, in the parastatals can tell you. And the people that work there know it well. Because most of them know, if they don't know what their cash flows are, they might be the first people not paid at month end.
0: So to focus I, I, I'm saying something slightly different, Robin. I'm saying uh, if, you, if you actually look at it from a governance and an accounting perspective uh, uh, and, and do a tick-box exercise on, 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 on most of the SOB, uh, the SOCs, I think they're called that now. Um, I, I was looking at SAAs right now. Okay the last one, which was 2015, I think it was the twenty sixteen that was published that that okay where they made an operating loss or negative cash flow of two billion and somehow managed to cook a sort of book profit of of maybe a hundred million now everything all the tick boxes seem to be in place, and this is well governed and well performed and whatever what I'm saying is that the the the, the reasons that it's not at pure ignorance or stupidity that people don't actually know the fundamental principles. They've got CFOs. They've got people who are quite knowledgeable on the boards. there are the two loopholes that are allowing these SOCs to, to become unstuck. One is the fact that in, in place of commercial sustainability, whether cash flow or profit, You've got this public service mandate. You can go to Big Brother, to Parliament, and get a few hundred million. In this case, now, SAA 10 billion. It's too easy, easy to raid the fiscus to sustain inefficiency, to sustain state capture, looting. It, 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 it's, it's the priority. It's not commercial viability is second, the way it is now in the mandates. Until you run out of money. Well, that's what I'm saying. And then you go cap in hand, right? Well, no, until you run out of money. Ex- yeah,
2: We've run out of money. As well, a country, then we've run out of money.
0: Well, you know, there are ways. And I think part of the state capture exercise, you know, is, is, is what's been going on there. Is there's, an, there's, there's an infinite amount of debt available if you can get somebody to back it in balance sheets and people to sign for it. So if you can get treasury, and that was really what the Provin Gordon... Uh, State capture issue was You know, do you sign for a trillion Rands worth of nuclear Bolt? You know, just hold on
1: Hold on to the phone, let's take a break, we'll come back in a second
0: this is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. Yeah,
1: Welcome back. It is, now, it is now 19 to 7 o'clock, and I'm joined in the studio um, by Eric Stillerman, who's a CEO at uh, London uh, Business School, SA, and, of course, uh, Robin uh, Nicholson, who's a talent strategist. And the debate is quite heated, um, and it's all around... The turnaround um, in the context of SOE, state-owned entities, um, the case in hand is that of SABC. The two folks here have had empirical exposure in terms of their own understanding as to why the the we, we have not been able to escape this 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 um, indecisiveness around you know uh, good governance uh, in, in SOEs. Eric, before we went to the break, mm. you, you you wanted to illustrate some some important aspects, you know, based on your assignment at a time
0: yeah well i, I was saying in the sabc case the ex-co the said you know we don't want your plan we'll stick to what we're doing we want to go cap in hand to government we can get 500 million we can convince parliament uh, uh, and one after the other they go cap in hand is you know the big one is SAA going for 10 billion now and 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 you know where will it all end and can you really put together a commercially, uh, a, a commercial turnaround strategy while there's this opportunity, this, this, this sludge, slush fund opportunity and state capture opportunity, opportunity to go and borrow more money, to go and recapitalize assets and give contracts to friends. So the question I'm asking is how do we stop this? And it's all – there's a political agenda behind all of it because these uh, – uh, uh, this abuse of of state-owned co- owned companies, I mean, let's call it what it is, okay, is, is there political players behind it who are siphoning – contracts to politically connected people. ESCOM is, is patently obvious. I was exposed to one last year, a smaller one in, 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 mm-hmm. which is not publicly, you know, in the media, where instead of the turnaround strategy which could have brought them back to profitability, they, they, the management, key management, wanted to recapitalize the assets of that st- state-owned company when what, that was not necessary and go and borrow $500 million. With a government with Treasury's guarantee. That's the game. Now, how do you stop that, which is the whole state capture issue? How do you actually stop that? Well, it's an interesting question. Robin, how do we stop that?
2: Look, I think think it's about integrity Mm -hmm. and accountability. Mm -hmm. Because I've experienced exactly what Eric's saying, but it's worse than that. It is when you, as a CFO, stand up and say, I really can't support this budget. It relies on a loss. And why should government fund us? Because we've not made the public service <coughs> mandate case. And the answer is, don't worry about the government. They will always have to pay. And that's a consensus in the board. There's an expectation. You know, before we went on, we were talking about the culture of entitlement. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and how pervasive it has become. And it, it's almost a continuation of the entitlement that white males like myself had of a great job and a good secure life You know that sort of culture of entitlement Is deeply ingrained in, in our psyche as South Africans And there's an entitlement that is a collective entitlement In SOE boards That the money will be there The money is there And there was a time when If you looked at how we were making And beating our national budget It was because we couldn't execute but, but, but Our let strategies Let me, wait, let me to, put to, a number, number on one <coughs> second And that Gave people who Were Quite clever The the, the capacity to say but there's all this cash Floating around the system that's not been spent It's been allocated for years How do we go there and find That money and criminals Have the best strategists They only go with there's money Sure. You know they don't invest in Loss making opportunities um, Because the consequences for them are jail Mm -hmm. Or being shot in the streets Like Mm. Radovan Krejcik Dealt with his competitors quite effectively. He killed off, you know, Lolly yeah. Jackson and a couple of other people. I'm not suggesting that that's what we should do to SOE boards. I am saying that when you look at every other kind of business type, ethical businesses, good businesses, there are consequences for boards and people in that thing. In our environment, there are. Okay.
1: But the, the question I want to pose is the culture of entitlement from the perspective of board members but, uh, in relation to, well, the state can always bail us out. Um, in retrospect, I mean, there was a time when the economy was growing, what, 3 4 5%. Well,
0: five percent? I'm actually even six percent in, in two thousand and five, you know, two
2: thousand and six. Yeah. Um, the, the, the economy was growing. Yeah, and how so you make money out of, uh, out of the a booming economy. Yeah, sure. That is, is a fundamental difference
1: that I want us yeah. to, to talk about because right. it is different to have a, 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 an expectation in a country that is in recession. Mm. Back then, there was money coming in. Sure, you know, so you would you would expect um, more. You would expect board members at that level to understand the the, the fundamentals of the economy that look we 're not growing in fact we, we're losing money day in and out, therefore let us be seen to be authentic in our thinking, let us be seen to be cognizance of the macroeconomic uh, space so that we are able to make decisions that are are fiscally are oriented and and are, and are manageable.
0: Why is that thought process not prevailing? Well, uh, l- l- if I may, let's go to a success story. Uh, I think that you mentioned last week, uh, uh, so namely Telcom. Okay, mm-hmm. the turnaround that day of effect. There was a beautiful uh, piece in, in mm-hmm. the Financial Mail this week about how successful they've been. They've become in a short space of time. They've appointed a proper CEO who knows the business and a clear. As coming back to your earlier point, a clear mandate. To make it commercially viable. Because there's, and successful, because there's a a, a, a private sector partner, they're they're private sector shareholders there. There's, there's, There's no confusion about what the mandate is. It's a listed company. It's got shareholders, their proper board meetings, proper governance procedure, external auditors involved, the investment community comments, and when they performed badly, everyone knew they performed badly. So they had to turn it around. So uh, I, I was actually, I think, uh, talking to 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 someone involved in in, funnily enough, in Donnell before last week's program. I said, "What must I say on FM about this?" <laughs> and I, I think he, he was saying, you know, either privatise it. Or, or, or bring in a private sector partner, and and this is what somebody else suggested. You know, is that the?
1: the but that's the, not rocket science. That's not rocket science. Uh, no, the, the question is, is the will the private, you do it?
2: Yeah. You see, the private sector partner, before he puts his money on the table, will negotiate the performance contracts. He will negotiate. the, 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 the rules of the game. The rules will of the be game. clear. You can a private sector partner
0: will not come in. With with a fuzzy mandate to say, you know, if there's not enough money, it doesn't matter, we can approve yeah, project, we can borrow more yeah, money.
2: Because he can't go to government for bailout.
0: Yeah, it, it, it implements it. But how do you get that? How do you convince Parliament? You know, one of my, I think, the saving graces here is that all of a sudden, at the moment, quite a lot of interesting accountability within Parliament. I see the investigation into state captures going, getting underway. Uh, numerous uh, uh, standing committees are getting involved in interrogating what happened in terms of state capture. So it, it, you know, parliament is the one that votes for the boards, and parliament is is the one that could take a decision to get a private sector partner in. It 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 might be that might be the point of. But what, what,
2: what, why is that? That's simple because in 2019 there's going to be a change really? in the no. I, well, who knows, Change the regime. But much. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have a regime. But um, <laughs> you, you, you're going to have a list, right, of 170 people or 200, 404 people. And let's say it's 50-50. So there's 200 people coming back from the ANC. Mm-hmm. Which 200? It's cool if you number 50, you're there, mm-hmm. right? If you number 199, mm-hmm. you better start making sure you move up the list, to get closer to the top 50. Mm-hmm. Find another partner where you can walk across the floor and go and work for the DA. Find a cushy job for yourself in the private sector. All of those things require you to perform. Mm-hmm. And it's the self-interest of the parliamentarian that will start driving that behavior because suddenly he needs to be the man that seen to do something against corruption to hold state pe- officials accountable because he's got to move up the list with, if he's in the ruling party or if he's at another party that may lose um, members. I mean, who says the DA is going to be the biggest party? After the next election, they might lose to the EFF. Who knows what happens in politics? Um, it's not likely. It's not my own view of it. But if you're on that cusp and you're number 99 and you might lose your job, you don't want to be in that zone anymore. You want to be somewhere else. So let's yeah, do more of that. I, I, I'm taking a slightly different
0: track. I'm, I'm not resting it all on a, on a change of, of leadership in December or in 2019 or party. I'm saying... Uh, in institutions of 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 democracy have proven or, or or come to light in the past several months mm. with the whole state thing including the media, the courts, and parliament. And therefore, I'm saying and coming back to your earlier point about rec- the current recruitment drive for for board members of of uh, of SOCs, You know what can you achieve within the system? to stand up for right and wrong. So I'm I'm quickly touching on Parliament, and I'm saying people who know what governance is really all about and who have integrity within the parliamentary system and are involved in this investigation and involved in the appointment of board directors, those people need to stand up. They're leaders and set uh, set the rules. And enforce the accountability and bring in the, the if necessary, make, bring in private sector partners or whatever, even but, just but the my accountability. View quite, yeah.
1: but my view is very really simple on this matter, yeah. um, Eric. Yes. The, the rules are there, government's yeah. rules are there, and pretty yeah. much clear. Right. And what it just means is the political will to execute. Mm. While on that point, we've got a, a view from one of the listeners here. It says, it's a question actually Does SCBC have any platform for SME uh, um, to advertise on? Um, or plans uh, for small businesses advertising in future. Uh, you want to maybe give it a shot there, Robin,
2: on that question. Well, I think if you look at their say, decide what your audiences are. I mean, if if you look at some of the business shows, let's take R S G. I I know it might not be the most popular radio station in people's minds, but it has a very influential number of business decision makers who listen to the morning drive show. It's not a bad rate. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you if you do if want to get to small, effective advertising, find your niche market, troll through radio. It's a great medium. It gets you – it is the lowest cost medium mm-hmm. uh, available. It's a, it's a great place for an SME to go to because he can craft his own production costs a lot lower. He can craft his audience to exactly where he wants to be, and he can get into a region. He doesn't need to be national. So if he's out in Toyando, Falapala is his place to be, and it won't be expensive for him to get there. The SBC also has SME development programs where they do provide lower points of entry into advertising.
1: Thanks for that input, um, Robin. It is now 7 to 7. Um, mm. It is amazing how time flies. Joining studio by two uh, colleagues, Robin and Nicholson, who is a turnaround strategy, as well as Eric Stillman, the C- uh, CEO of Business uh, School SA. And um, I still want to have your thoughts. Uh, our SMS line is 34519. Uh, We'd appreciate that before we actually wrap up because we literally have about 5 minutes to to kill this one critical point that lingers in my mind and everybody's mind is this recruitment drive uh from department of public enterprise the 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 i think the view is quite noble that let's get competent people let's get people with credibility to sit in our board but my 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 biggest concern is how do you sit in in the board when the political system is so murky, mm. when yeah. there is so much interference, mm. um, when 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 the decisions of the boards um, are, are 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 likely to be questioned, um, w- w- how do you take that process forward? Because here you are competent individuals who have sat um, in numerous boards with impeccable pedigree, academic pedigree, but as well as professional pedigree in relation to resolving. Solid issues. Do you want to see yourself in those? In uh, Do you want to throw a head and say, Listen, hey, count me in?
2: You know, what does it mean for you? I think there are a couple of things you look at when you join a board, right? This, these are mostly public service organizations that might be driving your, your thinking. Mm. But what's really driving your thinking is reputational risk. Mm. And reputational risk is based on trust. Mm. You trust that the minister and your colleagues on the board are going to act in the best interest of the organization and you can align with that. Mm. And that's what state capture did. It corrupted that basic trust Mm. that the boards were there to do what the boards were meant to do. And they weren't. They were clearly doing something very, very different. Um, Whether that was because they were powerful individuals, one of the changes I would like to see is that when they do put these boards together, the minister and the president back off and say to the boards, yeah, you've got 12 competent people, choose your own chairperson from the 12 competent people that you have and hold the chairperson accountable for his performance. Because in the SAE's right now, you've got powerful chairpeople that can override their boards and do so with equanimity. Whether it is SAA, I mean, my own experience on the SABC, there were powerful individuals that were untouchable, both in the board and within the organisation. So you've got to get that right. You've got to basically say to the boards, pick your own chairperson, hold them accountable. We've given you 12 competent people, 12 good men, right on well in our country hopefully six good men and six good women (laughs) Um, which is also an issue you know if you're looking for fresh blood women have a different point of view about that they've got different ways of problem solving Mm -hmm. they bring great skills and it's an untapped pool of untainted individuals you know so maybe we should see more women on our boards Eric Uh, 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 just a point of clarity quickly on
0: on, you know this nomination was was addressed to um, uh, uh, to the minister to minister Lynn Brown so I'm just wondering if if ultimately you know th- that's the shareholder and there's this concept that the shareholder being government um, is is the ultimate decision maker and mm-hmm. who's on the board and hence there's a sense I get that the chair even is accountable to the minister. Uh, I'm not sure if you want to comment on that. In terms of the government structure, is that correct? Is that just the way it is uh, politically or, 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 you know, is it supposed to be like that? I, is the board accountable well, I mean, to the, the shareholder?
2: That's our governance model in the PFMA. Right. Yes, Let's right, right, away sure. from politics. Okay. The, the structural way that we put it is we've said, you know, a shareholders meeting is a meeting between the shareholder mm-hmm. and right. the minister, and, minister yeah. um, and the chairperson of the board. Right, Where the other members are present mm-hmm. So it's a dialogue between the minister And the chairperson about how the board is doing So to answer your question
0: uh, In my own view Here yeah, Lynn Brown uh, I think had a quite a good reputation As as in when, when she was in various government positions And she's the minister of public enterprises I think she missed her Reputation to a certain extent In terms of ESCOM And she was compromised when she kind of let Brian Maleffi off the hook and didn't mm-hmm. hold him to account, allowed him a bit of a bonus, 30 million, he had to change her mind. But she, since then, she's kind of come clean because I think she understands what the correct principles of integrity and governance should be. So here's another opportunity in our country, in this current uh, government administration until 2019, for good, honest Competent people to step forward and play a positive role in SOCs. So I know I made you laugh on the phone the other day when you asked me about this, and I said it would be political suicide to go on one of these, or career suicide to go on one of these boards now.
1: Well, unfortunately, we are going to have to leave it there, folks. It has yeah. been an absolutely interesting
0: conversation, and
1: um, look, for me, ultimately, um, we 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 have an opportunity in this country to really turn around. SOE I really like the point that Robin made. Mm. Uh, your last point in that, um, you know, politicians should move out. They should give direction, but move out in the recruitment and selection mm. of the board of of the board, and let the board decide who they have want to have as the CEO. And the relationship between the CEO and the board chairman has they to be that
2: confident people with great absolutely. Experience.
1: And and, and once you get that formula correct, the chances of turning around our SAE. Likely to to be to become economical. Mm, mm, mm.
2: Having said that, unfortunately, thank we're gonna have to live with thanks. that. Sure. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank Until pleasure. we meet again, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.